And so while that verse is our launching point, it's going to take us to a passage of Scripture in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19, beginning to read with verse 36. And these verses are an example to us of worship. It is an example of what worship looks like that honors God. And of course, on the other side of that, it is also an example of what worship looks like that does not honor God. Looking at these verses, now we begin to read in verse 36 of Luke chapter 19. And as he was going, they were spreading their coats on the road. As soon as he was approaching near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles that they had seen, shouting, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, or the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But Jesus answered, I tell you, if these become silent, the stones will cry out. Now there's a question I want to I want you to answer as we think about worship that honors God. When does worship take place? What in, in God's evaluation, not in our own, what constitutes a service of worship? Do we worship just because we call this a worship service and we come and gather together is worship? Singing songs or listening to sermons is, is uh, worship occupying your spot in the choir or in the congregation. If you have done these things, have you worshiped? Who in the congregation offers the purest, sweetest, most pleasing worship to God? Jesus said in John chapter 4, in verse 23, He said, A time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. Now, it's significant to me as we look at that passage of Scripture combined with the others. First, we understood what a sacrifice that truly honors God is. Giving thanks is obviously worship. Then we see an example of worship in the Scripture. And then we see from Jesus that worship is something that the Father seeks. He seeks true worship, worship offered him in spirit and in truth. Now, just moments ago, we read a portion of the story of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. We're going to string that on out and read the rest of the story because it's going to, it's going to form the basis of our outline or the outline of my message today. And you saw, as we read the story, that some there were worshiping and others were not. So what constitutes worship? When does worship take place? What is worship that honors God? And here is number one. Worship takes place in the hearts and lives of those who recognize his presence, recognize our Lord's presence. And of course, that day, as Jesus entered into Jerusalem, there were some there who recognized his presence. They recognized who he was, and they honored him because of it. And there were others there who did not recognize 
his presence. They could not recognize his presence. And as a result, in the course of this story, as Jesus is making his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, he weeps. Listen to verse 41 of the same chapter, Luke chapter 19. When he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, If you had known in this day, even you, the things which make for peace, but now they've been hidden from your eyes, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will throw up a barricade against you and surround you and hem you in on every side, and they will level you to the ground and your children within you, and they will not leave in you one stone upon another, because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. They didn't recognize the presence of their Lord nor honor his presence. Could it be that some of us who should be best able to recognize our Lord's presence often don't? Deacons, teachers, officers and leaders of the church, staff members, we fail to recognize our Lord's presence. How would you know if the Lord was present in your church? On the other hand, how would you know if he was absent? Would you recognize, would you know the difference? And while we call this in the story in the Bible, it's called the triumphal entry. Really, it was rather humble. It lacked some of the pomp and circumstance uh, that would have accompanied the, the entrance of a Roman conqueror into the city. But at the same time, because it was humble, it was able to be true worship because sometimes it's the pomp and circumstance and the religious regalia that we add to a service of worship that keeps us from recognizing our Lord's presence. We need to be very careful lest the trappings of worship keep us from seeing our Lord. The sweetest, purest worship that day came from those who recognized his presence. When we recognize his presence, it brings him pleasure. When we don't, he weeps as we see in this story. Number two, worship takes place in the hearts and lives of those who re rejoice in his power. The same story in the Bible is, you know, in the Gospels you have the story is repeated. Matthew tells his story. Mark tells his story. Luke tells his story. John tells his. Matthew, Mark, and Luke often tell the same story from a little different perspective. Listen to this story from the Gospel of Matthew, verse 8 of chapter 21. Most of the crowd spread their coats in the road, and others were cutting branches from trees and spreading them in the road. The crowds were going ahead of them, and those followed were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When he had entered Jerusalem, all the city was stirred, saying, Who is this? And the crowds were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. And Jesus entered the temple. We'll stop right there in verse 12. The service of worship began on the Mount of Olives. It continued right through the streets of Jerusalem. But what began outside the temple was carried inside. And what I want you to see here is maybe one of the things we fail to realize, that worship is not a service, but a process that begins even before we arrive. We either bring worship with us, making it our intent, or we don't. It's not something we 
suddenly do once we get here. It has to be the intent of our heart in coming. We come to worship the Lord. We leave our homes preparing to worship the Lord. We're ready to worship. It's not about what we sing or what was preached or who was there. It's about honoring God and recognizing His presence and rejoicing in His power. So we're looking at worship. What kind of worship honors God and when does worship take place? Well, you know what happened when Jesus went into the temple. When Jesus arrived, we sometimes lose the context of the story. He made the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. They spread the palm branches. They shouted, Hosanna. The the Pharisees said, rebuke your disciples. Jesus just rode right on into the city, and he enters the temple. And when he gets inside the temple, he begins to straighten things up. Because when he entered the temple, there was not one ounce of worship taking place there. Not the least bit of worship taking place. So what did he do? He overturned the tables of the money changers and he drove out people. He cleansed the temple. That's the story of Jesus cleansing the temple. We won't get into that. But if you look at Matthew 21, 14, right after that, as soon as he had done that, then things could take place in the temple that ought to have taken place in the temple all along. The Bible says the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. Does it surprise you that Jesus welcomed these broken people into the temple and he mended their brokenness? These people came to Jesus. They sought him out. Uh, Others Jesus drove out. And so worship took place in the temple once things were set straight. The Pharisees never once rejoiced in his power. Were they pleased that God was mightily at work? No, they were not pleased at all because they couldn't recognize his presence. And so they weren't very pleased with what was happening. And it was because their hearts was not right. Their hearts were not right with God. As a matter of fact, the same thing is, is a problem here. Sin so separates us from God. So dulls our hearts to the sense of his presence. So dulls our spirits to the voice of his Holy Spirit that we miss the Lord and we fail to worship and he weeps, he weeps for us, for what we missed and for the broken who could have been mended, but we were in the way. Verse 15, chapter 21 of Matthew. But when the chief priest and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he had done, they saw the wonderful things he had done and they heard the children who were crying out in the temple saying, Hosanna to the son of David. They became indignant. It bothered them. Down through the years in churches that I've been in, I've often seen somebody get irritated when the service went a little long. Not because the sermon went a little long. Our sermons seldom do. But sometimes the invitation got a little long. One too many people came down the aisle. Somebody prayed down at the altar a little bit too long and People had other plans, other things to do, don't you see? I don't think they had any roast in the oven. I don't think there are many of those anymore, are there? Uh, But maybe they didn't get to the restaurant on time. Maybe somebody beat them to Aunt Jenny's. Has that ever happened here? And they got a little miffed because somebody was touched by the Lord. 
Or maybe they got a little upset because somebody was expressive in worship. And how dare somebody be expressive in worship and lay their coats down or spread branches in the road or shout Hosanna to the son of David. Or maybe somebody else looked down their nose because somebody wasn't doing that. Well, that's not rejoicing in God's power and that's not worship, whichever way it comes. To the Pharisees, any exhibition of fire, fervor, or any emotional display toward Jesus was distasteful. And so they were present at this service of worship, but they didn't. But notice who did. It was the blind and the lame who came to him in the temple, and he healed them and the children who shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. I want to ask you a question. Who in this church offers the purest, most sweetest, most pleasing worship to the Lord? Do you think it's the pastor when he's preaching his sermon or the choir when they're singing or the deacons when they're taking up the offering? No. Often it's the children because the children still believe the stories of the Bible. Do you? The children still believes still believe that Jesus loves them because the Bible tells them so. Do you? The children still believe that Jesus can heal broken people. Do you? The still children will sing to the top of their lungs. Will you? That kind of worship pleases and honors God. It did on that day when Jesus entered Jerusalem, and it still does. Number three, worship takes place in the hearts and lives of those who resound with his praises. In Luke chapter 19, verse 37, the Bible says, they began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles which they had seen. Their praises were not whispered. They were shouted. They were so moved by his presence that they just spontaneously began to take off their coats and spread them in the way. I want to remind you of something that we often forget. In a service of true worship, worship always goes upward, not outward. For us, worship is most often horizontal. It's about the songs that we sing or the sermon that we listen to. We sing for each other. I want the person beside me on the pew to hear it, to see how pretty I can sing. Or some of us don't because we don't want them to hear how not pretty we can sing. We sing for others to hear rather than for our Lord to hear. Worship is about an audience of one. We want the Lord to hear us. And sometimes we withhold our praises because we are afraid of what someone might think of us. Never once thinking, what will they think of him if we don't? If we don't, shout joyfully what the Lord has done for us and how he has worked in our life. In genuine worship. A person is always willing to lay down some part of self in order to honor Christ, just as they lay down these garments and branches in the road. In genuine worship, we're not at all concerned with what people will think of us, but altogether concerned with what they will think of Him. There will always be somebody around that will want to quench our praises. But we should never let the pharisaical among us, or our own pharisaical attitudes, hinder us from giving praise to Jesus. God forbid that the rocks ever steal the joy of the redeemed. And Jesus told those Pharisees, he said, if these don't praise me, the rocks will cry out.
Number four, worship takes place in the hearts and lives of those who respond to his pleadings. In other words, they listen to what he says. Well, we need to ask a question. Does Jesus still speak in the context of a worship service today? I mean, that's what we call this, whether it is or not. But we're here in church. He's promised to meet with us. I'm assuming that he keeps that promise that wherever two or three are gathered in that the Lord is in, in the midst of them, is he speaking in our midst? And are we hearing his voice? And are we responding to what he's saying? I mean, is that the custom of the Lord Jesus? I mean, did he, when he went into the temple, did he say anything? Did he speak to anybody? Or did he just wave his hand and every got, everybody got better? Well, in the context of the story, we just have to read to see. Luke 19, verse 47, and he was teaching daily in the temple. He taught daily. Did everybody listen? Did everybody respond? Well, the Bible says the chief priests and the scribes and the leading men among the people were trying to destroy him, and they could not find anything that they might do. For all the people were hanging on every word he said. It's not, what, it's not about what I say. It's not about the sermon. It's not about the songs. It's about what is it the Lord is saying? What did the Lord say to me today? Did I come here prepared to hear from him? Did I come expecting to hear a word from the Lord? That's the way we ought to come because that's what Jesus does in the context of worship. He speaks. Our Lord is speaking. Have you recognized his presence? Do you hear his voice? Will he weep when our service is over because we fail to recognize his presence? Rejoice in his power. Respond to his pleadings. And finally, the sweetest, purest, most pleasing worship flows from the hearts and lips and lives of those who've been redeemed. You could take every person off the planet, not one soul. Nobody lives on earth anymore. Let's just take them all off. Global warming came and everybody's gone. I'm just making a comment. No political comment. I'm just saying, what if? Everybody's gone. Nobody's here anymore. Just rocks and trees and stars and quasars and all those other things that spin around out in space. Did you know that even if you weren't here, not a soul was on the planet, that worship would still take place without you? Because the Bible says... In Psalm 19, the heavens are telling the glory of God. And their expanse is declaring the work of His hands. Day to day pours forth speech. And night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard. Their line is gone throughout all the earth and their utterances to the end of the world. So much so that Paul could say in Romans, even His eternal power and Godhead are clearly seen through the things that are made. It's shouting His praises constantly. That's not the sweetest, purest worship, however. Even in heaven, let's just say that there were no people anywhere, even in heaven, no people anywhere, just rocks and trees and stars and quasars and angels in heaven. Well, did you know in heaven, the Bible says that Thousands and thousands and ten thousands times ten thousands of angels cease not to sing His holiness and His worth day and night. It's 
and unending. But that is not the sweetest, purest worship to our Lord's ear. But in, in the scripture here, the Bible says that in the streets and in the temple, the children sang hosannas. But as sweet and as pleasing as that was to his ear, it is not the sweetest, most pleasing worship. The sweetest, purest, most pleasing worship to our Lord's ear comes from the hearts and lips and lives of those who've been redeemed. So that in the Old Testament, the Lord says, or the Bible says, David said, let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from the hand of the adversary. Worship addresses an audience of one. Let it be a sweet, sweet sound in his ear. Let's pray.